West Bowles, good morning. I'm always praying that those videos are a little longer because I'm like, I need another drink of water. I need another drink of water. So anyhow, I got my water. Okay. Hey, my name is Nathan, as, as Thomas was saying earlier, and if it's your first time here, I have good news for you. If you don't like the message this morning, I'm not the usual guy up here, so it, it, it only lasts a few weeks, okay? All right. Well, hey, I want, to, uh, I want us to start with a game this morning, okay? And you don't have to get up and interact with anybody, but I want to direct your attention to the screens. And uh, there was this, there was this um, magazine that my parents got me when I was younger called National Geographic for Kids. And one of the things they would have in that magazine were like zoomed in uh, pictures of different objects. And they would go to like microscopic levels sometimes. And so I want, I want us to play this game together. I want you to just, you can just yell out to me what you think this is, all right? First one, a flower. Taste bud? Okay, it is actually, it is, somebody got it. It's a rose. It is a rose petal, okay? Ooh, yeah. Actually, that was kind of gross. I was like, I'm not sure I want to give a rose to Kara anymore. That was weird. All right, next one. Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Hair? I heard cigarette. Okay, that is actually an apple stem. That's an apple stem. That makes you want to eat an apple, huh? All right. Next one. Cinnamon roll. Not a cinnamon roll. That's Thomas's guess on every single one. Cinnamon roll. That's a cinnamon roll. All right. Any other guesses? What I hear over here? A caramel? No, it's actually, it's a cornflake. It's a cornflake, you guys, all right? All right, one more, one more. Cinnamon roll, cinnamon roll. <laughs> Hair follicle, okay, you, you got it. This is, this is gross, all right? You ready for this? This is your eyelash. That's, your, that's what your eyelash looks like. Can we go back to that real quick? Okay, let's get away from that. I'm sorry I brought that up. That is disgusting. In fact, if I, if you know my theory with this stuff, if I have to walk around with that image in my brain, you do too, and we're all going to suffer together, okay? And if I looked at you funny this morning, it's probably because you have eyelashes, and I just was like, So, the reason that I show you that is because there are certain things that we just, we shouldn't make any bigger than they are. There are certain things that just shouldn't be magnified. Maybe to put it differently, there are certain things that just need to be seen from the right perspective. And that's true of a lot of things in our lives. But I think that is most true of what we're talking about these next few weeks. And that is that word that Thomas brought up earlier, power. Power. And, and I know it's easy to hit the off switch when you hear the word power because we associate power with what? We associate it with a position or a title. We associate it with maybe a personality type a financial picture, a social status, a level of success, and it could be associated with those things. But the truth is you could have none of those things, and you could still have the kind of power we're going to talk about for these next few weeks. Every single person in this room has this kind of power, and every single person in this room either has been, is being, or will be subjected to the kind of power we're talking about, and that power is authority and influence. Authority 
and influence. And that kind of power has the power to do immense good. In fact, some of you are here because at some point in your life, you had somebody in your life who influenced you, who maybe, you le- maybe le- helped lead you into a relationship with Jesus, or who taught you the value of being part of Christ's body, the church. And some of you are in here because of that. But many of us, many of us, I think, have been on the other end of that. In fact, we can probably all recall a time in our lives where we were wounded by this kind of power, by somebody who was in authority and they used their influence, maybe for themselves and to the detriment of everyone else. And so I'm sure if we think about it long enough, we can think of some wounds and some scars and some baggage we're carrying around as a result of being under someone else's influence. Now, here's the irony of that whole thing. This kind of power, it's God established, it's God instituted, and it is God given. In fact, Christian or not, you have authority and influence. Leader or not, you have authority and influence. Grandparents and parents, there are younger generations that are watching how you walk through the stage of life you're walking through. And they're taking cues from you about how to walk through that stage of life. If you're a coach, if you're an owner, if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you're a teacher, you wield influence. You have people that you oversee that are part of all all life stages and ages that are taking their cues from being under your influence. Seniors in high school, seniors in college, you're being watched by juniors for how to be a senior. Juniors, you're being watched by sophomores. Sophomores, you're being watched by freshmen. Freshmen, you just got to wait another year, okay? No, freshmen, you have influence too because you sit next to people who are watching you live your life. And even if none of that applies to you, guess what? God put you here with people. And so you influence them and they have influence on you. Now, you hear all that and if you're like me, it's like, whoa, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. And maybe, just maybe, the reason we even think that thought is because somewhere along the way, something in our perspective, in our, in our relationship with, with authority and power got broken. And we started to magnify the wrong parts of that kind of power. And we've ended up miserable in a place of influence. And I don't think God intended that. So I can think of no better way to step into a few weeks of talking about authority and influence than to raise this question. How should I see the authority and the influence given to me? And how should you view the authority and the influence given to you? Because you have it. Formal or informal, you have it. And to answer those questions, we're going we're gonna to open up the book of John this morning. In fact, we're going to be in the book of John the next three weeks. But specifically this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 3. And what you're going to discover there is that there are a group of people that are in a, a, a situation totally, totally different from the situation you and I walk through every day. But they face the exact same issues with the exact same human nature that you and I have when it comes to authority and influence. And I think what we're going to find this morning is God is going to give us his wisdom as to how we wield that kind of power, authority and influence. So your Bibles are open to John chapter 3, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But take a look at this first verse because it already raises an issue within us. Listen to this. After this, that's after this conversation with a man named Nicodemus, after this, 
Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them, and then look at this, and baptized. And at first you think, okay, what's the big deal, Nathan? Well, the big deal is that I don't associate Jesus with baptism. I mean, I think about the cross, I think about how he's God, I think about heaven, I think about miracles, I think about his love, but I don't think about baptism. Who in our minds is the authority on baptism in the Bible? John. Yeah, John the... Hey, there it is, right? Yeah, John was the authority on baptism. I mean, that was John's area. That's, that's easy to think as we go, as we read through this. That was John's area. That's, that's the space, that's his, his area that he has influence in. But here's Jesus and his disciples. In fact, if you keep reading John, what you find out is Jesus was just the face of the whole thing. He wasn't really doing the baptism. It was his guys doing it, the disciples. And as you think through the different stories of the disciples, you're like, those guys were baptizing people? Now, here's why I bring this up. Because part of what has gotten broken with our relationship and our perspective on authority and influence is we tend to magnify the person who has the authority and the influence, not what God is doing through the person. So when we read this and we go, well, John is supposed to be baptizing. That's that thing within us. We magnify the person, not what God's doing through the person. Well, this creates some issues with John's disciples, with us, with all of us. And we'll see that as we step forward. But before we jump back into the story, let me just ask you two questions. One, Right now, just think in your life, what is your place of authority? Again, it could be formal, it could be informal, but where do you have authority? It could be a job, it could be a, a relationship, it, you know, as a parent, it could be um, a friendship, it could, be, it could be a lot of different things. But where do you have a say in people's lives? And then number two, who is under your influence? Who's under your influence? And that's the place I want you to keep in mind as we walk through this. Because God is about to bring some perspective to this whole thing. So look at next verse. Verse 23. Now John, John was also baptizing. Okay, John's still doing what we know John does. Okay, John the Baptist, he's still baptizing at Enon near Salim. Because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. In other words, this was not Jesus and John the Baptist sharing like our baptismal. Okay, they're in the mighty Jordan River. There are tons, there's just tons of water. Tons of people coming to be baptized. Constantly coming to be baptized. In between Jesus and John, they've got a ton, ton, ton of influence with all these people coming to them. So John, who wrote the book of John, different John, who wrote the book of John, he goes on. He said, this is before John was put in prison. And then verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, we don't know what the argument was about. We don't know who the argument was with, but it surfaced something inside John's disciples. Something got them upset. And out of that angst, they run over to their leader, John the Baptist, and look what they say, verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi... That is, leader, teacher, one that I follow, rabbi, 
And then look at their next phrase. That man. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, who are they talking about? Jesus. Can you imagine? John, rabbi, respect, rabbi, leader, and then they're pointing at God. God in the flesh. That man, no respect. Because I think maybe there's a little envy bubbling up within them because they're seeing people go to them. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing. In other words, John, this is our game. We're the authorities on this. And you know, they were hoping to maybe be able to do what John did someday. So for them to look across the river, and it's not even Jesus doing the baptizing, it's his disciples, that probably felt like a slap in the face a little bit. Because suddenly their authority and their influence, well, it's got competition. And it's been threatened a little bit. And then look, look what they say at the end of that. And everyone is going to him. And everyone is going to him. Is, let me ask you something. Is that a true statement? Is everyone going to Jesus and the disciples? No, because verse 23 just told us, no, John was also baptizing. But there's something important I want you to see here. It probably felt like everyone was going to him. I mean, that's, that's where we get. When, when we suddenly feel like we're losing, losing our authority, our influence, or anything, it's real easy to start using those words, those, those um, all-encompassing words. Everybody's going to him. Nobody's coming to us. This always happens to me. I'm never going to get it. Have you said those words? We all have. And I'm sure it felt like it because two chapters before this, you know what happened? G uh, John is out with two of his followers, two disciples, and Jesus comes walking by. And John stops what he's doing. He stops everything and he says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And you know what happened right after he said that? Those two disciples that were following John, they just left to follow Jesus. I mean, how's that feel if you're John? So you come to chapter 3 here in John's disciples. You know, two of their guys that they'd been hanging out with left to follow Jesus. Probably feels like everyone is going to Jesus. And we're losing. We're losing that thing that we had that felt so good. See, this same thing happens to us. The exact same thing happens to us. And you see it right here. That when all I can see is my perspective, it's real easy to lose perspective, isn't it? When all we see is our perspective, it's easy to lose perspective. And John's disciples, they're watching all this happen. And they're thinking about who? Themselves. They're thinking about how this affects them because they have magnified themselves. Students at Harvard know this. There is a negotiations class that is offered every single semester at Harvard Business College. And so what happens is every semester, a week before class starts, the professor emails all the students. And he says, okay, first day of class, bring your computers, bring your textbooks, bring, you know, whatever you're going to take notes with, but also we're going to have an auction that day, okay? So bring $1 bills because you are going to bid on something. Bring however much money you would want to spend at an auction. 
So first day of class comes around, and it's time for the auction, and the professor pulls out a $20 bill. And he says, you are bidding on a $20 bill. But there are two rules. You got to bid in $1 increments, and not only does the winning bidder have to hand over their money, but the runner-up. In other words, the person who loses also has to hand over their money. So you can imagine, the bidding goes really, really fast all the way up to what number? $20. And then you, you, you would hope it would stop at $20. But here's what happens. The person who bid $19, who has just been outbid, they think this, okay, I could stop now and I could lose my $19, or I could bid $21 and I would get the $20 bill, and I'd only have to hand over $1. So the problem is everyone else is thinking the exact same thing. And so this, uh, the bidding keeps going. And most semesters, this professor says, the bidding stops between $30 and $40. One semester, it did not stop. Would you like to know what the winning bid for the $20 was one semester? $204, $204, because you know what? That thing that happens inside you and me happens inside them too. They, they lose perspective and they do these really irrational things. In fact, the professor asked them, he asks every semester, why did you keep bidding? Why did you keep bidding when you knew that you were going over the value of what you were bidding on? And every single time, do you know what the answer is? Well, I didn't want to look bad in front of everyone. I didn't want to look bad in front of everyone. Now, we all go, morons. But that's us. That's us. Because when it comes to authority and influence, we don't want to look bad in front of everyone. But that's only seeing from our perspective. And when you only see from your perspective, it's easy to lose perspective and do some really irrational things. Now, if this first part, this first part of the conversation gives us a picture of the issues that come up when it comes to authority and influence, then I want you to pay attention to what happens next. Because John the Baptist's response to them is so, so, so instructive. And it is so informative for anybody who's got authority and influence, because now John is going to speak from his place of authority and influence, and he's going to show us this is the perspective you need on authority and influence. So, verse 27, look at John the Baptist's response. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Do you agree with that? I mean, not because we're in church and we have the Bible open and it says it right there, but do you agree with that? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because I like to think that my life and my stuff and my property and my family and my achievements and my accomplishments and my authority and whatever influence I have I like to think that that's my doing. I like to think that I accomplished that and that I achieved that and that I earned that. But accomplished and earned and achieved is not the word that John the Baptist used. He used the word given. Given. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, 76 times, you know what he refers to? Given. 
what has been given from heaven, given from the heavenly father, given from God. I mean, if I, if I want my kids to know something's important, I'll tell them two or three times, 76 times. So maybe we should pay attention there. And what John is saying, he said, look, if you want to start to get a new perspective on your authority and your influence, then the first thing you got to recognize is that you have received what he has sent your way. You recognize and you receive what he's sent your way. In fact, I think if John was walking around in our culture, you know what he'd say? He'd say, you know what you're like and you know what I'm like? You're like the bottom of a fountain. And I'll explain. A couple months ago, I was at a wedding and I'm standing at the, uh, the dessert table and the caterer brings out this, I'm not kidding, this was, this is one of the most powerful moments of my life. Caterer brings out a silver platter full of double stuffed Oreos and sets it right in front of me. And I was like, the kingdom of God is in front of me and I'm about to eat it, okay? But down the table from me, there was a chocolate fountain. And at that chocolate fountain, there were five dudes that I'm sure are college football linemen, okay? And they are, they're just surrounding this chocolate fountain and it was incredible. You know, you got the chocolate flowing down from the top, and then so it hits the first level and falls off that to the second level to the third. And these guys, they've got this angel food cake, and they're grabbing it like you grab a sponge. And they're just like mopping up the chocolate off the lower levels of this fountain, just down in it. And I'm not kidding. The flow of chocolate could not keep up with these guys. They actually cleaned off the bottom two levels of the chocolate fountain. And they're sitting there, and they're just like, come on. Come on, give me more. And I think in that moment, what those guys realized was the point that John was making to his disciples. That if nothing comes from up there, we don't have anything right here. That's a perspective on authority and influence, isn't it? That I only have it because it has been sent my way. But John's not done yet. He starts to build on this. Look what he says next. He says, you yourselves can testify. He's having a parent moment now. You heard me say, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. John's saying, look, I'm just here to clear a path so that Jesus can come through. I'm just here to clear a path so Jesus can come through. In other words, not only have you been given what he's sent your way, but you also, your job is to prepare the way. How many of you have been to a concert in the last year? Okay, not very many. Okay, but you guys can picture a concert. Do I need to explain a concert? No, everybody knows what a concert is. Okay, in a concert, does the main headlining act come out first? No, of course not. Who comes out first? The opening act. Yeah, the opening act, and the reason that happens from a concert promoter's eyes is because you got to get the crowd warmed up. You've got to get them going. And sure, maybe it gives a little publicity to the opening act, but as far as that night is concerned, it's not about that. It's about getting people going so that when the main act comes out, everybody's ready to go. So John says, look, you're not just the base of the fountain. You are the opening act at the concert, not the main show, guys. Now, I love this idea because... In every single testimony that you hear of somebody who, who um, decided to step into a relationship with Jesus, do you know what you hear? Someone was sent ahead. God sent somebody ahead of time. 
You hear it all the time. You know, there, there was this person in my life. It was a coworker. It was a student. It was a friend. It was a teammate. And there was just something different about them. Or they just talked to me about some stuff that really mattered. Or I just saw Jesus in them. John says, guess what? You're being sent ahead of him. See, you, you recognize and you receive what he sent your way. And then you prepare the way. And then he adds one more thing. He adds his own picture of what that perspective is next. Verse 29. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, so that's like the best man in our, in our terms. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. See, in that culture, what would happen is after a wedding and after, after the ceremony and after there was this feast that could last for days, the bride would go into the bridal chamber and it was the job of the friend of the groom to stand outside the door to that chamber. And nobody came through that door. His whole job was to wait and listen for the groom. And when he heard the groom's voice, he was full of joy because he knew the groom was coming. And when the groom walked up, then the friend of the bridegroom would step aside. And this is what John's getting at. And, and I think he's miles ahead of his disciples and he's miles ahead of us. That when it comes to authority and influence, your job and my job is to recognize what's been sent our way, it's to prepare the way, and then it's to get out of the way. You recognize what's been sent your way, you prepare the way, and then you get out of the way. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing I thought when I read this. Who wants that, right? Who wants that? Because where do we like to be? Number one, right? The president, the CEO, the, even the manager, the supervisor. We like to wield the power, but we make it about us, don't we? It's, it's just, it's terrible. It really is. I mean, we sit there and we think that's, that's for other people, but that's not for me. I'm different. But if there's any, any, any reason to take on John's perspective, it's simply this. Look what he says at the end of verse 29. I'm going to back up just part of that last verse. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is is now complete. And it is now complete. Okay, whoa, whoa, John. I thought I was most joyful when I was in charge. I thought I was most joyful when I had the power. I thought I was most joyful when I was known as the authority. John says, no, that's actually a, that's a miserable place to be. And the reason that's a miserable place to be is because whenever we get into that position, we are depending on ourselves to do what only Jesus can do. And if you're miserable under somebody's authority and influence, it's very likely that you're depending on them to do something that only Jesus can do. And then John punctuates this whole thing with this phrase that I hope you carry this week. Simply this, he must become greater. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. You know what that means? It means your job is to point and not be the point. Because 
That's really what having authority and influence is about. Having authority and influence is about joyfully pointing, not being the point. Having authority and influence is about joyfully pointing at Jesus, not being the point. Because we're all either joyfully pointing at Jesus or we're trying to be the point. And only one of those is joyful. The other one's absolutely miserable. So you know what that means? It means you're one of these. You know what this is? It's a laser pointer. Teenagers love these things for all the wrong reasons, for shining them in people's eyes and stuff like that. Anyway, um, but that means you're one of these. And I notice none of you is jumping out of your chairs going, oh man, Nathan, what year and make and model is that thing? You're not worried about that. All we care about is where the pointer points, right? You don't care what this part of it looks like. We care about where it's pointing. So let me ask you this. As we dive into these few weeks on power and authority and influence, what if that shaped your perspective on the authority and the influence you have? What if you remembered that before you took the promotion that meant more authority, more influence? What if you remembered that as you head into your meetings this week with the people you influence? Or as you spent time with your grandchildren or your students or you interacted with the cashier at the store or your neighbors? Think that would change some priorities? Yeah. Let me ask you this. What if that weren't just our perspective on our authority and influence, but what if that was our prayer for those who have authority and influence over us? What if that was our prayer for our boss? Teenagers, what if that was your prayer for your parents, for your coach, for your teachers, for your bosses? What if that was our prayer for our next president, the one that we're going to elect in a week and a half? Regardless, regardless, regardless of who it ends up being. And I get it. I know we... We have those, those uh, hesitations, right? Well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. How are they going to use their authority and influence? But the truth is, you look throughout this thing, and God appointed many, 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 many broken people to have authority and influence. But you know what? He knows what he's doing. He can deal with them. For our part, what if we prayed for them? to somehow, in some way, on God's time, to begin to joyfully point at Jesus instead of trying to be the point. One story, and I'm done. There is an orchestra conductor by the name of Benjamin Zander. Benjamin Zander. And, and this man, he gave a talk to a group of people not too long ago. And in that talk, I thought this was so interesting. Here's what he said. He said, I've been, a con I've been conducting orchestras for over 30, 35 years. But at the 20-year mark, I had an epiphany. I realized that the conductor of the orchestra doesn't make a sound. The power that the conductor of the orchestra or the symphony has comes from making someone else's power greater. And then he said this. He said, you want to know how you're doing it? Do you want to know how you are making someone else's power greater? You look at their eyes. And you'll know you're doing it because their eyes will be shining. Their eyes will be shining. And if their eyes aren't shining, then you get to ask yourself a question. You get to ask the question, who am I being that their eyes aren't shining?
And so as I think about us, look at the people's eyes that you have influence over, that you have authority over. And you want to know how you know you're making Jesus greater in their lives? Their eyes will be shining. They will. Or imagine this. One day, you are going to stand face to face with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is just a question that's just been reverberating in my brain. Don't you want his eyes to be shining? Because that is the result of a life that was given authority and influence that pointed it at Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start these few weeks on power by way of authority and influence, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a God who you entrusted us You gave to us a stewardship, a responsibility of authority and influence. And you gave us people in our lives who are watching us. And so, Lord, if our perspective has been off, whether it's our own authority and influence or or that of others, Lord, help help us get pointed at you again. Because all we want from this life is to joyfully point at you, not try to be the point. We we know that's a miserable place to be. And so, Heavenly Father, um, speak to our hearts in the coming weeks and and in light of of the power, the power struggle, the power shifting, all the stuff we see going on in our country. Keep us pointed at you in the midst of it all. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bowles, have a great week. We'll see you next week.